Hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in just a few moments, we will be reading verses 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. At some point in our lives, we all come face to face with this reality. We need more than ourselves. Sometimes it's a drastic set of circumstances. Sometimes it's adversity or hardship. But one way or another, we all face the reality that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. And if that hasn't happened for you, well, it will. I promise you. We need more than ourselves. And praise God that he shows us that more is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the more that you need and that I need. And how do we come to know Christ? By the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us and showing us who Jesus is and showing us just how much we need Him to make atonement for our sins, to guide us, to direct us, to save us. That's what we need. We are entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking at the series on the church. What is the church? And in one sense, at the most basic level, you could say that the church is an assembly of people who are fully ready to acknowledge that they need the Holy Spirit. It's true that the church should be the humblest group of people in the world, that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and He has met us in this way. And so far we have seen that because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the church is the Spirit-born family of God. Jesus makes this very clear in John 3. We cannot be born into the church. We cannot buy our way into the church. We cannot earn our way into the church. We can only be born again into the church. Born from above. God must intervene in our lives. And as a result of His sovereign intervention, we can claim to be the redeemed Children of God. What a privilege. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 3 that the church is the spirit-filled building of Christ. The spirit gives birth to the church and it is only by the work of the spirit that the church grows and has shape and develops. We need this. And as we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, we are seeing that the church is also the Spirit-empowered 
the Spirit-empowered body of Christ. The Spirit-empowered body of Christ. The same Spirit who gives birth to the church, who grows the church, also empowers the church for ministry. We're not just to sit around and enjoy this privilege. Our desire is that the world would come to know what we have come to know. That Christ is the answer. He is the more that we're all craving. He is the answer to what ails you and ails me and ails the world. If only we were more willing to let the world know. Because the reality is, the world is probably more open and receptive to hearing the gospel than we are to share the gospel. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us with the gifts we need. Now, in writing to the Corinthians church, Paul is addressing a church that was feeling pretty self-sufficient, feeling prideful. They've got it made. Look at all the spectacular things that are happening in, in Corinth. Miracles are happening. People from all walks of life are coming to Christ. They're proud. But they're divided. Some are feeling superior. Look at all the gifts we have. Wow! We're really something. Others are feeling inferior. Why do they have that gift and I don't? Why are they experiencing this blessedness and I'm not? And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 to show how God has chosen to empower his church, how God has chosen to distribute and divide out the abundance of his gifts. Let's read together, beginning at verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul is reminding them they didn't discover Christ for themselves. It is only by the Holy Spirit that anyone can say Jesus is Lord. Because this isn't just uttering words with your mouth. This is conviction from the heart to utter the words Jesus is Lord. To truly be surrendered to him as Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about that work in a sinner like you or like me. And so he's reminded them, you can't take any credit for where you stand. And yes, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit working in all of them. And they all serve the same purpose. And we could call verse 7 Paul's thesis statement in this chapter. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, for the building up, for the edification, for the benefit of others. Spiritual gifts are not just toys for us to play with. They are tools for the church to use in building up one another and pointing the world to what the world needs more than anything else, and that's Jesus. Amen? Jesus. And God is so generous in supplying these gifts. But Paul, in these verses that we're looking at today, is emphasizing the diversity of gifts that God has chosen to divide them on purpose. On purpose. Not just diversity for the sake of diversity, but for a reason. And here's the reason. God's purpose in dividing His various spiritual gifts among His people is to expose the futility of self-sufficiency and to exalt the all-sufficiency of His grace. That's why God divides up His gifts the way He does, so that we don't all share the same gift. We don't all share the same aptitudes in the church. It's all by His sovereign design. And that purpose, that design is aimed at exposing the bankruptcy, the utter bankruptcy of self-sufficiency. And oh, how we prize self-sufficiency, don't we? We're Americans after all, right? We can do it by ourselves, thank you very much. But really, we can't when we're honest with ourselves. When you're honest with yourself, and I'm honest with myself, I can't do what I'm doing right now apart from Him. And He continually reminds me, let me tell you, He continually reminds me, I cannot do this without his help. The bankruptcy, the futility of self-sufficiency. And he wants to exalt the all-sufficiency of his grace, his abounding grace that he lavishes on sinners like you and like me. We don't deserve it, but he is so generous. Have you tasted that? Have you known that grace? I pray that if you haven't, you would know it today. He divides his gifts to serve one united purpose. That's what we see in verses 8 to 
8 to 10. Verses 8 to 10. He divides his gifts for one united purpose. One united purpose. And so we're going to walk through these gifts, these nine gifts that Paul enumerates here. But we're not going to dwell on any one of them because his point is bigger than any one of these gifts. We need to know what these are, but we can't dwell on them because really he wants to move beyond them. The Corinthians know all about these gifts. There are all kinds of gifts being displayed. Spectacular gifts are being displayed, and they're very prideful of it. Paul wants to move beyond that. But let's walk through these. He says, to one, there is given the Spirit, a, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom, literally a word of wisdom, aimed at the common good, as they all are. Every manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so there's a message of wisdom. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul has made it very clear that he says, we do proclaim a wisdom but it's not the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of this age would never have understood Christ. It can't understand Christ. That's why they crucified Christ. But we proclaim a wisdom that is is beyond this world, beyond what this world can discover for itself, can grasp for itself. And so this gift of wisdom is an ability to apply God's truth to daily living. The ability to apply God's truth to daily living. To another, a message of knowledge. And this knowledge is is not just self-discovery. This isn't just science and what we can find out for ourselves. This is revealed truth, revealed knowledge. An ability to apprehend God's truth. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So this may be your gift, but be careful. Be careful. It can easily inflate ourselves beyond ourselves. We, should, we can think more of ourselves than we ought to. Be careful with this. But it is a gift to be able to apprehend what God has revealed in his word. To another faith by the same Spirit. And this faith is not the same saving faith that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has. This is a special confidence, a special confidence in God, especially in the face of trials and tribulations, the conviction that God is still God and He is still in control. Have you ever met someone with this gift? It is such an encouraging thing when you're in the midst of a trial and there's a brother or a sister who can remind you, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not on an island. To another, gifts of healing. And here's where we're moving into some spectacular kinds of gifts. And as you probably know, there's great debate among Christians over whether or not these gifts are limited to the New Testament times where these special gifts that God poured out on his church then to work through the apostles to validate the credibility of the gospel, so, but are no longer needed now, possibly? Or are these ongoing gifts that we may have in our midst? I lean toward the side of saying these were special, spectacular gifts given then, but I don't want to box God in either and say what he can do or what he can't do. 
And certainly God brings about powerful, miraculous healing through hospitals, through doctors, through nurses, and we praise God for that gift. To another, miraculous powers. And we're not sure exactly what this means, but big things that happen that no human being can take credit for. That is a spiritual gift. To another, prophecy. And this prophecy is not so much foretelling, predicting the future, it's more like forthtelling. It's more like telling the truth about the world, about God, about where we stand before God. Prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. This is vitally, vitally important for the church to possess. To be able to say, this is true and this is false. This is consistent with what God has revealed in his word. And God will never reveal anything to you or to anyone that will contradict his word. And we need people who can say, no, that's, that is not consistent with God's word, with truth. And we're told in 1 John that not every spirit is from God. Test the spirits, we're told. Be discerning about what you hear. Be discerning about what you see. Be discerning about other people. Just because someone has reverend in front of their name, just because someone is standing at a pulpit behind a Bible, that doesn't mean you take everything they say for gospel truth. Please don't put me on that pedestal, ever. Distinguish the spirits. Measure what I say to you against the standard of God's word. His word is totally true and trustworthy. Dane Hadley is not. I am a sinner just like you. And I will do my utmost to tell you the truth, but I need God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to keep my message in line with God's truth. And we need the gift in the pews of people who can distinguish spirits to say that is not from God. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And this is where it gets really sticky, of course where some say the kind of tongues that we see in the New Testament are like the tongues we see in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Tongue, after all, is the synonym for language in the Greek. And so what's happening here are people who have this miraculous ability to speak other intelligible human languages. Other people say, no, 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 this is an ecstatic speech. Glossolalia, it's sometimes called. And it's, it's a heavenly language. Some people say it's a, a private prayer language. And I don't want to be dogmatic on this. But I do want to emphasize that any teaching that says that you should seek this, or if you don't have this, then you're inferior in the church some way, is to be repudiated and rejected. Not all will speak in tongues, however you understand that. And... It needs to be emphasized that all of these gifts are aimed at the building up of the assembled church. And when any of these gifts are dividing the church over things that we should not be dividing over, then we need to reject that. It's not helpful. That's not a spiritual gift, no matter what you may think about it or say about it. We need to be clear about that. So what do we make of, of the total picture here of these, these divided Gifts that serve one common purpose. 
First is this. No one has everything, and everyone has something. Did you catch that? No one has everything. No one can say, oh, yep, check, 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 I got that, I got that. Oh, no. Oh, no. No one has everything, and everyone has something. And if you don't find your gift in this list, that's okay. This is merely representative. There are other places in the New Testament where we see even more gifts enumerated. This is selective, representative. Paul's trying to make a larger point. But that larger point is that you have a spiritual gift. If you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have a gift to contribute to the people of God. It may not be my gift. It may not be someone else's gift, but you have a contribution to make. Do you realize that? You have a spiritual gift. Note that. Also, note that there is no hierarchy in this list. Paul lumps them all together. And this is important for us to remember because sometimes we think that people who have the more public gifts, more spectacular, dramatic gifts, are somehow superior. No, no, no. Yes, it is, it is critically important that someone stands behind a pulpit, behind the Word of God, and proclaims His Word with clarity and with power. But that's not the only gift. And don't think that you're inferior if that's not your gift. Paul puts all these gifts on the same plane. We need all of them. All of them. We need you, in other words, if you have been filled by the Spirit of God. And then, see this. We need the church. You need the church. And as it happens right now, this is a very countercultural thing to say because many people have decided they actually don't need the church. They've got better things to do on Sunday morning. And when I say you need the church, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that you need a worship service, as beneficial as that is. I don't mean that you need to have your name on a membership role in a local assembly. I don't mean that you need a budget finance committee or personnel committee. Those are the organizational, institutional elements of the church, but that's not what you need and not what I need fundamentally. What we need is to draw strength and life from the body of Christ. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not some things. Nothing. Nothing that is of eternal significance. We need the body of Christ. And where's the body of Christ? Look around the room, my friends. Look around the room. Behold the body of Christ on earth, filled and empowered and reborn by the Holy Spirit of God. You say, this is it? <laughs> oh yes. This is God's sovereign plan. 
And we look around and say, well, I know that person. Really? What, what do they have to contribute to my life? We need one another. Because, because who gets the glory with this group of fallen, fallible sinners? The Lord does. He and He alone gets the glory from assembling this group of people and any local assembly of believers. It is His power and His power alone. It is the all-sufficiency of His grace that can do this. May we never forget that. And He's divided His gifts as He has chosen. And then in verse 11, we see that all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines this should prevent us from becoming either possessive or passive in the church. These are the twin dangers I want to highlight for us today. The danger of becoming possessive of the Lord's church or passive in the Lord's church. Here's what can so easily happen. Because the church is an organization, because it does have institutional elements, because we are meeting in a building, because we do deal in real money, we have real staff, we have all these various needs as an organization, as an institution, it's so easy for us to fall into thinking, oh, I, oh okay, this is kind of like a country club. And we don't never say that, but we can treat it like that, can't we? You pay your dues, and here are the amenities that come to you, and you get to have your say and everything, because after all, you own this place, right? Because you gave the money to make it possible. You pay that guy in the pulpit. You pay for this building. So obviously it's yours, right? Wrong. Wrong. Whose church is this? It's not loud enough. Whose church is this? God's church. It's God's church. Look at verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines if there's any doubt about the person of the Holy Spirit, he is a person. The Spirit is not an it. He is a person and he distributes just as he determines. He determines what we are to be doing. Not me. Not you. He does. So we cannot afford to treat the church as a country club. We cannot afford to treat the church as a business. As a political action committee, as a company, as a performing arts center, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, purchased by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit, awaiting the return of Jesus from heaven. Possessive. Here's a very practical way that we should live this out. You and I... We all, we all fall into this trap sometimes of talking about our church. And I know we can say that with all innocence. We don't mean anything possessive by it. But here's just a, a verbal experiment for us. Let's check one another and, and watch that we, that we not say that. If we, if we find ourselves saying, my church, our church, stop, say, his church, God's church, Because it is. It's his church. We cannot afford to become possessive of it. 
But we also can't afford to become passive. And this passivity takes a few different forms. Here's one form. Anyone want to close us in prayer? Obviously, the, the preacher should do it because he's got like that red phone line to heaven. He's got a direct connection. So, so he should be the one doing it, right? You ever been in that situation, a family gathering where, oh, who's the most, there's a quick assessment, who's the most spiritual person in this room, right? Who has the most direct connection? Oh, no. That's the danger of professionalism. And we need to rid that from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, have a direct connection. You don't have to go through a saint. You don't have to go through a priest. You have a direct connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's mediating. He is the one who's advocating on your behalf with the Father in heaven. So go to Him directly. Don't look to a professional. Don't look for a proxy. Don't sell yourself short. The danger of passivity. Here's another way passivity shows up. We think purely in terms of the spectacular. Purely in terms of the pragmatic. Purely in terms of the external. How many people did we have? How many people are on the membership roll? How much money is in the budget? How much money did we take in? If things are down, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. God's clearly not working here. We've got to make a change. If things are up, oh, great. It's so superficial. Do you see how superficial that is? Because here's the hard truth. Spiritual work when you're truly exercising your spiritual gifts, let me tell you, it will not always be spectacular. In fact, it will rarely be spectacular. The true works of God, when God really shows up, more often it looks like a mustard seed. And you say, is that it? You bet it is. You bet it is. But we are so fixated on efficiency we worship efficiency. And I, I got to tell you, I think we have an idolatry of efficiency. An unhealthy efficiency. We ask, how many people are there without asking, are we building and developing mature, healthy disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we just care if they're in the pew? Let's be honest with ourselves. We want real maturity. We want real spiritual health in ourselves and in others. We can't afford to be passive and sit back and say, well, preacher, come on, get more people in here. Come on, we're waiting. Make this change. Come up with this plan. Develop this strategy. No, no, no. That's worldly thinking. We can't afford to think that way. We're about the all-sufficiency of God's grace, not the efficiency of our plans, not the efficiency of our abilities. We need Him to show up. We need Him to work powerfully in us and through us. There's no other way apart from Him. We can do nothing. 
Do you really believe that? Has that really hit home? Nothing. We don't get any credit. We don't get the glory. Our part is to be faithful, to joyfully serve the Lord, to answer his call upon our lives. Because here's what he's done for us, verses 12 to 13. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Understanding spiritual gifts should prevent us from becoming either possessive or passive. Instead, it should lead us to become more and more actively dependent upon the all-sufficiency of God's grace. See, as parents, our goal is for our children to be independent, right? We don't want them to live with us forever, hopefully, right? Eventually, we want them to move out. But here's the difference with spiritual maturity. The more spiritually mature you are, the more dependent you will be on God's grace, Do you realize that? And the people who are most spiritually immature are the people who rarely pick up a Bible. And if they do pick up a Bible, they're not surrendered to God's word. They're not submitted to God's word. They've already heard that. Come on. Tell me something new. Finish up already. I've heard all this. I've been in church my whole life. Move on. Tell me something interesting. I want something new, fresh, Big, exciting. Do you see the, the immaturity in that? That's how children think. That's how children think. By God's design. But we are not to be that way. We are not to be that way. We never, ever get over God's Word and the simplicity and the clarity of God's Word. We never get over the gift of God's church. We don't have any business being here. It's only because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only God's power that can unite Jews and Gentiles, slave and free in one body. Only he can do this. To both to bring us in, to baptize us in this. This is what water baptism symbolizes. But this is a spiritual reality to unite us to the life source of Christ Jesus and to keep us in, to nourish us by the one spirit that we drink We need him to sustain us, do we not? So I ask you today, do you realize that you need more in your life? Are you honest enough with yourself to admit that you are helpless and hopeless in your present circumstances? That left to yourself, you are dead in your sins and transgressions. If that's you, hear the good news. Help has a name. Hope has a name. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He suffered what you and I deserve. And the Father has vindicated him by raising him from the dead. 
And the same power that raised Him from the dead is available to you and to me to give you the more that you need and that I need. Have you tapped into that? Because here's all you have to do. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is be willing to surrender and say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my life. Have it. I'm yours. If you've never done that, may this be the day of salvation. And if you have done that, may God revive and renew in you and in me a passion, a zeal to serve Him, to love Him, and to trust in the all-sufficiency of His grace. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank You that You have not left us to our own devices, but instead You have poured out Your grace upon Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. Those in the church, those outside the church. Those who are living moral lives and those who are not. We all need Your grace. Lord, we confess that. And I pray that for all of us, we would look to You to save us. We would look to You to guide us, to direct us, to provide for us. Lord, may we be willing to say with joy and with wholehearted conviction, Lord, here is my life. Here's my heart. Here are my plans. Take it, Lord. Seal it for your glory and honor. Make me a faithful disciple of Jesus. For we pray all these things in his holy and precious name. Amen.